You can find anything in the city. Coffee shops, one on every corner. Museums, pick your era. Hundreds of languages harmonize, forming the heartbeat of the city. And people, lots of people. This is especially true in Japan. One of the most populated countries in the world, Japan is developing at an amazing rate. But what if there was one person in one city who couldn't find the one thing he was looking for? Enter Yoshio. For 68 years, he sensed there was a god, but in a city of millions, he couldn't find one witness. That's something a coffee shop, a museum, or government building couldn't offer. Enter a church. All it takes is one community of believers. When Yoshio walked through the door and into a community, there was one church for every 16,000 people. And it was there he found what he was looking for, a community and a gospel witness. Churches are still the hope of the world, the center of the city. There are plenty of cities, but not enough churches. Mustard Seed Network is ready to bring more churches to Japan. They have a vision to plant a church in the 12 largest cities in Japan. That's eight more by 2025 to be exact. More communities, more gospel witnesses, more Yoshios. Churches spread the gospel, pure and simple, from Jerusalem to Japan. There are cities full of people looking for a home, looking for God. You should be able to find anything in the city. Let's keep it that way. With enough churches, anyone can find Jesus in the city. Well, hello, Crossroads. It is certainly good to be with all of you who are here in this room and those at the West Campus and those joining online. Uh, like you just heard, my name is Jay. I live and work in Japan with Mustard Seed Network. And Mustard Seed Network has a mission to glorify God by making disciples through planting gospel-centered churches in urban Japan. Japan is a country where less than 1% of the people there have faith in Jesus. Less than 1% are Christians. There's one church for every 16,000 people in Japan. And if you're wondering, is that, is that good? What, is that? what does that mean? In the United States, there's one church for every 800 people, one church for every 16,000 in Japan. So there's just not enough churches. And the average size of those churches in Japan is 35 people. And those churches have an average of less than one baptism a year. And so our goal is to take the gospel to as many people as we possibly can. My wife, Caitlin, and I have been in urban Japan for 11 years now. We have four kids, four, six, eight, ten. They were all born there. And we love the work that we get to be a part of over there. Uh, we, when we first moved, we were part of a church plant 10 years ago in Nagoya, Japan. That's a city of nine million people. So think the size of Chicago or Paris. And then two years after that, we moved to the city of Osaka. Osaka is a city of 19 million people, and we were a part of that church plant for eight years. And then as of three months ago, uh, the Greer family now resides in Tokyo, and we are preparing to launch a church in Tokyo in March as part of our goal to plant 12 more churches in these major cities across Japan. And we are thankful for the partnership that Mustard Seed Network has with Crossroads, 
this partnership that we have in the gospel. We moved to Japan in early 2008 after we had done some budgeting and raised a lot of money and, and, and raised enough money to go and live and work in Japan. And then who remembers what happened at the latter half of 2008? A lot of people fell on financially difficult times. A lot of churches fell on financially difficult times. And some churches were even forced to stop the support that they were giving uh, towards our mission. And then came the partnership with Crossroads. And through Crossroads and others, we have been able to continue our work in Japan. And so I want you to know that our work goes forward through you. And we're incredibly thankful for that. And at that time, when we were filled with worry about our finances and then God provided through you, that was one of the times that God taught us to stop worrying about the things God promises to provide and start seeking the kingdom in people's lives. And that is what we're going to learn from today's sermon text in Matthew chapter 6. If you go there right now, we're in Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. You guys are looking at the Sermon on the Mount together. We're going to continue that series through this. I want to read the text and then pray. So let's read what Jesus says. Verse 25. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry. Don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... Jesus spoke these words to his disciples and that they are preserved for us in the Bible and that we get to read them. I pray that you will use these words to shape us right now and shape our hearts. And pray that at any point when we are confronted with your word and that there is dissonance between us and your word that we would change and that we would humble ourselves before you and your word, God. I pray that you'll give all of us a yearning for your kingdom and help all of us to trust you to be a good provider. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In verse 33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All human hearts are seeking something. Every single human heart, it seeks something. So the question is, what are you seeking? 
Do you seek things of eternal significance or silly, worldly, temporary things that don't really matter? And in verse 32, Jesus says, the Gentiles seek after these things. What does that mean? What's a Gentile? Gentile is someone who's a non-Jew. And in Jesus' time and context, that just meant someone who's an unbeliever. So someone who doesn't believe in God, people who don't believe there's a God who is good, who's a judge, who's the, the creator overall, people who don't have faith and don't have a worldview that includes God as king of the world, those people seek after these things. What things? Verse 31 says they seek after what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink and what they're going to wear. In fact, they have anxiety about those things. And you say, yes, of course, I, I worry about those things. I need those things. They're necessary things. And in verse 32, Jesus actually agrees with you. He says, your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows that they're necessary and he plans to provide for you. And he is actually a better provider than you are. This is what God said through Moses 1,400 years before Jesus in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And when I read this passage in Japan, it always shocks people. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. This is an important, important lesson for the person who thinks, I provide for myself. I provide for my family. No, you don't. God does. Sure, he provides through your skills, through your knowledge, through your degree, through your job, through your labor, through your work, but God is providing through you. He is the one who provides. And now the bright side of this is that God is a really, really good provider. He's going to give you what you need. Stop worrying, stop seeking those things, because many of us, we go a little beyond just seeking those things and into the realm of really wanting silly, temporary things. And the truth is, you can either seek God's kingdom or you can seek your kingdom. Now, remember that this text comes right after Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, where Jesus said, do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth, lay up treasure for yourself in heaven. Then verse 25, he says, you cannot serve God and money. And then in verse, uh, verse 25, he said that in verse 24, you cannot serve God and money. Then verse 25, in that context, then he says the word therefore, don't worry. Lay up treasure in heaven. You can't serve God and money. Therefore, don't worry. So these words of comfort and promise to provide those words are coming to people who he just told to serve God and not themselves. Serve God, not yourself, and don't worry. Seek God's kingdom, not your kingdom. Because we are tempted to seek food and drink and clothes. And not just the kind of food and drink and clothes that we need to survive, but the kind of food and drink and clothes that we like to put on Instagram. And we are tempted to seek health and comfort and a perfect home, the kind of perfect home where people come to your perfect home and they say, this is just a perfect home. And we are tempted to seek the next vacation, the next experience. And Jesus says, don't worry about those things. Don't worry about when you're going to retire and how you're going to retire and where you're going to retire. Don't worry about those things. Don't seek those things. Seek the kingdom and seek his righteousness and God will provide for you. When Jesus tells us to remove 
these temporary silly things out of our hearts, he doesn't then leave a void where those things used to be. This is not minimalism. This is not Buddhism from the East where I live and work. Buddhism teaches us to put away desires and passions and pleasures. Buddhism is the pursuit of nothingness. Buddhism seeks to empty your mind and seek nothing. We, when a Buddhist meditates, they try to empty their mind. We try to fill our mind up on Jesus. There's a huge difference. And Jesus doesn't call his, call his followers to remove all desire and passion. Jesus doesn't take out from our hearts the desire for silly worldly things like money and power and comfort and security and approval and, oh, I really hope they like me, and then just leave this cavity in our hearts where those things used to be, some kind of gaping hole where those desires used to be. He gives you a new desire. He puts a new yearning into your heart. He gives you a new thing to seek. He puts into our hearts a yearning for the kingdom of God and for his righteous will to be done. It's that yearning that's captured in Matthew 6 and that prayer that he just taught us to pray. Where we pray, Father, may your name be hallowed. We yearn for your name to be worshiped, for it to be seen as holy, for it to be sanctified. Father, may your kingdom come. May more people make Jesus their king and follow him. That's the yearning that you put in our heart. We have a yearning that your righteous will would be done in an unjust world. And to help us seek God's kingdom and his righteous will to be done, there are some provisions that we need. And so we continue praying and we pray, Father, give us our daily bread so that we can seek your kingdom and your righteous will. Father, lead us not into temptation so that we can seek your kingdom and your righteous will. Father, help us to forgive others like you forgave us because it is your righteous will that we would forgive others as we've been forgiven. And our yearning is for the kingdom of God to take root in our lives and to take root in the lives of others around the world. Now, if you're not yet a Christian or maybe you're, you know, you're kind of new to this whole church kind of thing, and when I, I'm talking about you know, the king and kingdom and you're reading that in the scripture, you're trying to figure out why in the world does the Bible talk about Jesus being a king? I don't quite understand that idea. I can see presidents. I can see prime ministers. I can even see a few uh, kings and emperors today, but I don't see Jesus. Why is he a king? I get Kanye West is now calling Jesus king, but I don't really understand why the Bible says that Jesus is king. Help me understand this. When the Bible talks about Jesus as king, when it talks about God as king, it's talking about God's rule over the world. He created all. His rule extends over all there is. However, not all people are following the king and not all people appreciate his rule. Our world is in rebellion against the king. And that's why we see injustice in the world. And through our sin, we have actually joined in the rebellion. And we have to repent of that sin and then follow the king in order to enter his kingdom. It's that rebellion that started in the Garden of Eden when people first sinned in God's world. But God has a plan to fix everything and bring everything back under his rule. We believe that there is a God who created all there is. I find that more and more people believe that there is, there is a God, that there is a creator, that there is a designer, and I'm finding fewer and fewer atheists these days. Fewer and fewer people are saying, yeah, I don't know, there's, there's nothing out there. They're saying, you know, yeah, I, the world is just too fine-tuned. There must be some kind of higher being out there. The question for you, if you're willing to admit, yeah, there might be some kind of higher being or God out there, here's the question for you to grapple with. 
If there is a God, does that God want you to know him? If there is a God who made you, does he want you to know him? And Christianity says, yes, God wants you to know him. In fact, he wants you to know him to the degree that he spoke to the prophets and he gave us scriptures so that we could know him. And most profoundly, then he was born as a man, as a little baby and placed in a manger in Bethlehem. Jesus is God in flesh who came to reveal God to us and show us what God is like. And when he revealed God to us, he showed us that God is full of grace and truth. He showed us that God loves us enough to die for us. Our sin separates us from God and he is so full of justice that Jesus had to die on the cross for us. And he is so full of grace that he did in fact then die on the cross for us. The cross is the way that we enter the kingdom. The cross is what takes away our sin and makes us qualified to be his citizens in his kingdom. Now understand when I enter the, the, the nation of Japan, I have to have a visa for them to let me in. And to get a visa, uh, I have to check a few boxes. They ask things like, have you ever been convicted of a felony? If I check the yes box, they don't let me in. They don't let me into their nation and their kingdom, right? Understand that God's standards for his kingdom are way higher. He says, no sin. And so now all of us have a problem because we have sinned. And the way to deal with our sin is that Jesus was punished on the cross for our sins in our place and took that guilt from our sin away from us and made us pure and made us righteous so that through faith in him, we are now righteous and qualified to be citizens in his kingdom. Jesus' resurrection teaches us that he is resurrecting lives and will one day resurrect this broken world. And when we choose to follow him in faith, we become citizens of his eternal kingdom. We are saying, yes, God, you in fact are over all there is, and I want your rule over my life, every aspect of my life. And we try our best to live according to the ways and culture of Jesus' kingdom and align our hearts with the heart of the king. God is teaching us, I am the king who goes to the cross for rebels to bring them to myself for eternity. And when you turn from your rule over your life and place your faith in Jesus and place yourself under God's rule, you enter his kingdom forever. And because we love living in God's kingdom, we want others to know the goodness of following God. And so we seek his kingdom in the lives of others. And there are many ways to seek God's kingdom, but the main way to seek the kingdom is to do what the king says and make disciples. In the chapter before the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 4, Jesus called his disciples and he told them, follow me and be fishers of men. That's the Christian life in two parts. Part one, follow Jesus, do what he says, try to live like him. Part two, be fishers of men. Make disciples, like we read in Matthew 28 earlier in the service, right? Go to all nations and make disciples. How in the world do you make a disciple? You do what Jesus told his followers to do in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. You proclaim the kingdom of God. You speak the message of the gospel so someone has the chance to hear that message and then respond in faith. Well, how do they come to believe and have faith? They have to hear the gospel, the message about Jesus. That's what Romans chapter 10 tells us. 
says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? This is our mission in Japan. This is your mission in Indiana. You have been sent here by God. And you're thinking, no, actually, I was born here. No, no, no. God decided that you would be born here. He has sent you here to speak the message, to preach the message about Jesus so that people can hear, so that people can believe and be saved. This is how we seek the kingdom. When we first committed to the work in Japan, uh, there were many worries that God would provide for that mission. In fact, there have continued to be worries and concerns that God would provide. And God has always, always provided. Rarely early, but always provided. And I, I have to continue to look at Matthew chapter six and stop worrying about the things God promises to provide and start seeking the kingdom in people's lives. And in Japan, we've seen God constantly provide and also bring the kingdom in people's lives. In February 2008, we moved to Japan and we then entered a year and a half of language and culture learning. And uh, it was going to language school every day. That was our full-time job. And if you're wondering, what's it like to go to language school and learn Japanese every day? Well, you go and you study something that you're really bad at. And then you go home and you do some homework that you're really bad at. And then you go the next day and do it all over again for a year and a half. And you don't feel really smart at the end of that year and a half. It was kind of a beat down trying to learn Japanese. It's pretty difficult. And during that time in December, uh, my wife was placed on bed rest when she was pregnant with our firstborn. And so she couldn't do anything. And that was a really hard thing. I was also um, stuck in this perpetual cycle of failing the Japanese driver's test over and over again. So it was just kind of a tough time. And, um, you know, during that time, I'm then kind of, I'm praying, God, you have us here to make disciples, to share the gospel. And I'm just going to school and struggling with Japanese and I, I want to share the gospel with someone. So on Christmas day, I had to go from our, our city in Nagoya and take the, the bullet train two hours to Tokyo because uh, someone was flying into the airport in Tokyo. I had to go pick them up on Christmas day. So on Christmas Eve, the night before, uh, I prayed to God and I said this in my prayer. I said, God, I want you to give me a Christmas present. Tomorrow on the train, Place me next to someone who speaks English with whom I can share the gospel. Amen. That was it. So then the next day I go and I'm standing on the platform and I'm waiting for the bullet train to, to show up. And while I'm standing there waiting on the train, I feel this tap on the shoulder behind me. And I turn around, there's a Japanese woman, and she says, excuse me, are you an English teacher? I said, no, actually I'm a, I'm a Japanese student. I'm studying Japanese. And she said, oh, well, that's wonderful. I used to be an English student when I was studying in Chicago. And even though there were English speakers all around me, you know, I didn't know who would actually want to practice with me. I'm sure you need someone to practice with. Would you like to sit on the train next to me and we can practice? And I said, sure. And so then we get on the train, I sit next to this woman, and it doesn't take long in the conversation for her to recognize that I'm not from Japan. And she says, how'd you get to Japan? And uh, I say, well, actually, I'm here. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, like, um, it felt so distant at that time that we would ever plant a church. And I was almost embarrassed to say it. But I said, actually, I'm a pastor. We're, we're wanting to start a new, a new church here in Japan. And she said, oh, a Christian church. So yeah, a Christian church. She said, well, 
You know, I've actually never heard the main beliefs of Christianity before. Um, would you be willing to share them with me in English? I'll then teach them to you in Japanese so that you can share them with other people. And I said, okay. And so <laughs> then I proceeded on the train. I, you hear in this story how I'm like 0% heroic in this. God just arranged everything and I'm just there. And so I, I share the gospel with her uh, for two hours on the train. And I would love to tell you that we then pull into Tokyo and we go to the nearest public fountain and baptize her, but that's not how it went. At the, as she heard the gospel, she had some real you know, tripping points with it. She said, you know what? This is really great. If I could be both a Buddhist and a Christian at the same time, I think that would be wonderful. In fact, if you could make everyone able to be a Christian and a Buddhist at the same time, I think you'd have a lot of success. And I said, well, it doesn't really work that way. See, the Bible, the Bible says that our relationship with God is kind of like a marriage relationship. And she finished my thought. She said, uh, you have to be monogamous. I said, yes, that's right. One spouse, one God. We only worship one God. And so my, my hope and my prayer for her is that, you know, she, she went and she maybe went to a church afterwards after that seed was planted in her heart or that some other Christian then interacted with her and that she continued a faith journey. But I don't know what happened, but I do know that when we said, God, I want a chance to try to seek your kingdom in people's lives and share your message, God said, sure, here you go. I like answering that prayer. If you want an opportunity to speak the gospel, I'll give you that opportunity. In that first year and a half when we were studying language school, um, we think, I don't know if we're generous with ourselves, maybe six people, six people heard the gospel. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's not, it's not like, hey, I'm Christian and I'm kind of nice. And, um, hey, isn't our family nice? Or uh, have you noticed I don't swear? Or look, I'm kind of moral about certain things. Not that. I'm saying, hear the gospel. The gospel that's about Jesus, not about me. You understand what I'm saying? The gospel message of we have sinned against God and God did things. There is good news, the news about what God did. He came, a baby was born, he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross for our sins, he rose three days later and he offers you forgiveness and he offers you eternal life by grace through faith. That message, maybe we shared that with six people. We had zero people. Uh, believe and become Christians out of those six people in the first year and a half. Then in December of 2009, we started a church in Nagoya, that city of 9 million people. We start a church there and we're looking for just a place where we can have Sunday service like this, where people will sit down and they'll give Jesus a hearing. If I go on the street and try to talk to someone in Japan, they're not going to listen to me. They have somewhere to go. But if we could say, if they could just sit down and give the gospel a hearing, and so we, we think a church service would be a great way to do this. And we just now, we need a, we need a place. And so one night uh, I go out and I decide it's time for a cheeseburger. And I'm looking for a cheeseburger and I see this sports bar is open. They have a cheeseburger. I go and I say, can I have a cheeseburger? And the, bar, uh, the sports bar is operated by two Indian Muslim guys. Okay. And they start talking to me and they say, uh, we have a party room on the second floor. I said, hmm, a party room. Tell me about this party room. And I said, well, it's, uh, it's up there. It has a projector. It has chairs, about 40 chairs. It has a sound system. I said, this sounds pretty good. And I asked, would you be willing to let us have a church service in there every Sunday morning? And they say, sure, if the price is right. And so I, I don't know if you're, if you're keeping score here, but understand these, these two Muslim guys, they have a bar with a lot of alcohol which is a no-no in Islam, right? And they sell a nice pepperoni pizza, pork product, which is a no-no in Islam. And they're renting it out to a Christian church. So these guys are like not up for Muslim of the year award, okay? 
but that worked to our advantage because now we have a place where we can invite people and just share the gospel. And that got us started. In the first year of that church in Nagoya, 230 people came at least one time. So that means 230 people heard the gospel at least one time, seven people were baptized. Look at that. We take the gospel seed, we scatter it over more soil, more of it falls on good soil, more people respond. So we said, let's just keep on doing this. Let's, let's start more churches that share the gospel with as many people as they possibly can. And so two years into that church plant, uh, my wife and I and another couple, Seth and Megan Phillip, we were sent to the city of Osaka to start a new church there. And the plan was we're going to move in September. December's going to roll around and we're going to start that church around Christmas. There's a lot of hype around Christmas, so we thought we'd use that. Um, and that was the plan. August 8th, we're still living in Nagoya. We haven't moved. Follow me? August 8th, in the morning, I'm talking with my mom on Skype. We're having a conversation, and my mom says, how in the world are you going to start a church in a city where you don't know anybody, and you don't know anything about the city? And I said, Mom, that's a really great question. Uh, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this. Here's a couple ideas. But what I'd really like to do is have some kind of big outreach event with maybe a Christian name that's a big name that could, that could uh, draw people in, and we can share the gospel there, and the people who are interested, we can funnel them into the church. And I said, the guy who'd be perfect for this is a guy named Matt Merton. And Matt Merton is a baseball player. He was playing for the Hanshin Tigers. That's Osaka's team. They love their Tigers. Uh, Matt Merton was previously playing for the Cubs for a while, the, the, the Rockies, the A's, the Red Sox. He goes over to Japan. In his first year in Japan, if you're a baseball fan, he broke Ichiro's single-season hitting record. And Osaka just loved him. You could go to the convenience store and get a Matt Merton lunch. They loved him, okay? And I saw that he was on a Franklin Graham Crusade kind of commercial on YouTube uh, advertising for it. So I said, oh, this guy's a Christian. It would be great if we could get this guy. I explained this to my mom on Skype. We're having this conversation. I say, even if I could contact this guy and I don't have his contact, he does the Franklin Graham crusade. My church is zero people. There's no way he'd actually do this. And my mom then says to me on the morning of August 8th, she said, well, I'm going to pray that you meet him. And I said, thanks, mom. You know, she's like, you know, your mom's your biggest fan, you know. And uh, I, you know, uh, hung up the call, didn't think a thing about it. Later that day, uh, we decided to go out to dinner as a family. We're trying to, you know, we're up in the air about which restaurant. We choose a restaurant. They take us to our table and we sit down at our table and we look across the aisle and there's Matt Merton, and his family having dinner. And we sit down and we're looking at this guy and my wife's like, is that him? Is that him? And I'm like, yeah, I think that's him. She pulls out her phone to try to, you know, find a, a Google an image of Matt Merton to figure out if that's him. And I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's him. Those arms belong to a professional athlete. Um, <laughs> and now I realize I, I have like a six hour turnaround on this prayer request and I got to go, I got to go talk to him. And so I go up to his table. I can tell he's about to, you know, he's almost done eating. And I went up and I said, excuse me, are you Matt Merton? And he says, yeah. And I said, I heard you're a Christian. He says, yeah. He kind of seemed excited. And I said, well, this is going to be really weird. Um, but this morning, uh, someone prayed that I would meet you. And he looked at his wife a little nervous. And I said, relax, I'm a, I'm a pastor at a church here in Nagoya. Next month, I'm actually moving to your city in Osaka to start a new church there. And if you're interested, I would love to do some kind of event to impact that city for Jesus. And he took out his phone and he said, well, what's your email? 
told him my email, he typed it in, he hit send, and he said, well, now you've got my email. He said, this is perfect. Thank you so much for coming up to the table because lately it's just been baseball, baseball, baseball. And it's just a dry time. And I'm like, God, don't you have me in Japan for a reason? And he would later, later tell us that for the past two days, he and his wife had been praying for an opportunity to share Jesus in Japan. And he said, when you came up to the table, you were an answer to prayer. I said, no, you were an answer to a different prayer. And, <laughs> and so then we started this, this relationship together. Yeah, it's fun. God is good. And we started this relationship and started planning this event. The only thing is he's only in the country till the end of the baseball season. And baseball ended in October. It was actually extended that year because earlier in the year there was a massive tsunami in Japan. So the end of October, he's guaranteed to be there. And after that, he says, I'm, I'm gone. I'm, I'm out for the, for the off season. And so we're planning to you know, start a church in December. He's here to the end of October. He can do an event at the end of October. And we realized we have to move up our church launch to coincide with this event because we now have the biggest Christian name in Japan. So we're going to move September 12th. And then six and a half weeks later, we need to find a venue for the event. We have to find a venue for the church launch. We have to get the website going. We've got to, you know, make a few friends, print some flyers, get the church equipment, you know, get the band ready. We've got to get everything perfectly in place. And I can tell you that God provided everything he put everything in line. It was one of the most exhausting and exhilarating six-week chunks of my life. And yet God showed us through all of this, this is my mission, not yours. It was so humbling for me because I, I'm thinking, I don't know if God would really want to you know, give us a contact with a baseball player. And God's saying, yeah, I actually care about this church more than you do. And my vision for this church is bigger than your vision, Jay. This mission of reconciling the world to myself, I've been at this long before you came around. I am very into this mission. You get to be a part of it. And God provided for this, and he is ready to continue to fuel that mission around the world when we just seek his kingdom. At that very first church service in Osaka, uh, there was a young man who was at the event with Matt Merton. We had the event with Matt Merton. There were 300 people there. Uh, he's one of the faces in the crowd that you can see right here. I, mean, you can't, I don't know which one. Uh, but he was there at the event. Um, and, and at the very first church service, uh, he showed up to play the guitar. And he was an atheist. His, 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 his name was Yuma. It still is Yuma. His name's Yuma, and he was there. Um, and, and he was asking really hard questions. But we knew if we can get him playing guitar in the band, then every single week he's going to hear the gospel. So let's get him more gospel exposure. And he was asking hard questions, reading parts of the New Testament, and, and really, really stretching. You know, he's a bright guy, asking difficult questions. And then finally one night he decides, I'm going to have dinner with Seth, and I'm going to tell him that I am never going to become a Christian. And so he had dinner with, with, my, with my coworker, Seth, and he sat down and looked across the table and said, Seth, I need to tell you, I'm never going to become a Christian. And Yuma told us later, he said, and when I said this, I thought this is going to crush him because he's moved across the world and learned my language to try to tell me about Jesus. And he wants me to become a Christian. I'm never going to do it. And it's going to crush him. And he said, I'm never going to become a Christian. And Seth said, okay, that's fine. Um, well, hey, how, how are you doing? How's your family? You coming to church this week? You playing guitar? You doing the band thing? Everything good? Just continue to talk with him. And Yuma left that meeting rattled because he realized Seth isn't doing this for me. Seth isn't even doing this mission for Seth. Seth is doing this for God. And it doesn't really even matter how I respond. And Yuma said, that night I realized I am a sinner. And he told us that before he thought he was a sinner... He thought the cross was just foolishness. 
He said, I thought it was just kind of some weird kind of Western religious thing. And then once I realized that I was a sinner, he said, the cross became life to me. And the Sunday after Yuma said he would never become a Christian, Yuma became a Christian and was baptized. And Yuma has continued his walk. And Yuma, after a few years, decided, I think I'm called into ministry. I think I, I want to work for the church. And so Yuma now works at the church. He is a pastor in training. He's preaching. He's writing worship songs in Japanese. Uh, three years after Yuma was baptized, a young lady by the name of Sally showed up to our church, another Japanese woman who was just full of life and, and, and wonderful. And she heard the gospel and she came to believe she was baptized and she caught fire. And she started telling her friends and family about Jesus. And she actually led her, her, a couple friends and her sister to faith and she baptized them at our church. Sally is now our children's director at the church. Yuma met Sally, the two of them decided to get married. I had the great joy of performing their wedding at a park in Osaka. And the two of them just had their, their first little baby earlier this year and they are raising their baby Isaiah to know Jesus and love Jesus. And they are both working for God's kingdom. God continued to change lives at that church in Osaka. After five years, we took a chunk of our church and we sent it to a neighboring city uh, of Kobe, about 45 minute drive away. And, and they started a new church there. And immediately more people were hearing the gospel every single week and more people are worshiping. Uh, the next year in 2017, we took another chunk of people. We sent them to the neighboring city of Kyoto, another 45 minute drive in the other direction. And now immediately there's another group of people hearing the gospel every week, another group of people worshiping the king every single week, and more people, I, I just got news today, a picture was sent to my phone from Kyoto, a 69-year-old man uh, was baptized at the church in Kyoto uh, earlier this morning on the other side of the world. When the sun came up today in the east, four churches gathered to worship the king. And as of last week, over 150 people have been baptized at, this church, uh, at these churches. God is still advancing his kingdom. And now we are entering another time when we need to trust God to provide. We have this goal to plant 12 churches in these 12 cities by 2025. That's eight more in the next six years. And we need lead planters. We need teams. And we need $3 million to be able to plant these next eight churches. And I need to not worry about the things God has promised to provide and continue seeking the kingdom in other people's lives. My family and I moved to Tokyo and we have a new team that we're gonna work with to share the gospel in the largest city in the world. And I ask you, please pray for us. We need a church venue. Pray that we'll have a spot. One day, Jesus will return and people from all nations will gather before the throne and worship. And Japanese people will be there and Americans will be there and Sudanese and Finnish and Indonesian people will be there and you will be there. Why? Why will you be there? Because you're good? Because you're ethical? Because you're, you deserve it? Because you earned it? No. And in fact, if you're trusting that, that God will bring you into his eternal kingdom because you're a pretty moral person, it's time to repent of trusting in your goodness and trust only in Jesus. You will be there only because someone shared the gospel with you and you responded in faith and by grace through faith, you are saved into God's kingdom. You are made righteous. You are made a citizen of his kingdom and made a child of God forever. God is reconciling the world to himself. What a joy that we get to be a part of his kingdom.
Some of you here today, you are not yet following the king. You don't yet have a faith in Jesus that is a faith that, that is living and active. And if that's you, I want you to know there is a God who loves you. He loves you so much that he came to earth to die for you and give you a new life. Please be reconciled to God. Believe, follow, be baptized, live a new life for him. I know there's people who are here who would love to talk to you. I don't know the protocol, and I didn't say these in the other services. I'm right here. If you have a really difficult question you don't believe yet, I would love to talk to you. It's what I I love that. Some of you are consumed with worry. Give those anxieties to God. Trust his provision. Seek the kingdom. Some of you are consumed with seeking something that doesn't last. Give it up. Seek his kingdom. All of us need to be consumed with seeking the kingdom and his righteousness. All of us need to take this good news of a king who loves you so much that the king would die on a cross for rebels. And we need to take that message and share it with someone else. Carry that message, that gospel message to others so they can hear and have the opportunity to believe and be saved into God's eternal kingdom. Will you please pray with me? Father in heaven, it is such a joy to be able to be part of your work be able to be a part of your kingdom. And I pray that everyone here will know both those joys, to be a part of your kingdom and be a part of your mission, God. Lord, I pray that as I talk, that the Holy Spirit will place on each and every single heart that can hear my voice one name of someone with whom we need to share the gospel. Do that on my heart and everyone's heart. I pray that everyone will be given an opportunity to share the gospel with that person. I pray, Lord God, that when that opportunity comes, I pray that you'll give all of us boldness and give us the words to speak in that moment. Pray that you'll make us messengers. Lord, I pray that we will continue to seek your righteousness. Show us ways where there is injustice in the world and help us to fix that. Help us to work for your righteousness, God, I pray. Lord, help us to seek your kingdom above all other things and throw away those other things out of our lives, God. Help us to not worry, but to trust your provision and know that you have eternally provided for us. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.